Whether it's for work or play, we rely on home internet so much these days. Being connected and staying connected has never been more important. So if you want reliable internet bought you at speed, switch to Aussie Broadband. It only takes a few minutes to sign up and their 100% Australian-based support team are ready to help. Aussie Broadband, the actual Aussie way. Find out more at aussiebroadband.com.au. T's and C's apply. G'day guys, welcome back to this week's episode of the Dylan Friends Podcast. This week, one of the best female cricketers in the world, Alyssa Healy. Alyssa is absolute cricket royalty with her father Greg Healy, uncle Ian Healy, cousin Tom Healy and husband Mitch Duck all representing Australia on the cricket pitch. Notably, she talks about being the first female to ever play in the first 11 cricket in the private schools competition in New South Wales. Playing in front of over 85,000 at the MCG in the T20 World Cup. Famously dancing with Katy Perry after the match and having the world record for the highest catch of a cricket ball of all time. Plus, plenty more. Cannot thank Alyssa enough for her time and I hope you enjoyed this as much as I did. She's an absolute superstar and she's my friend. Let's go. Welcome to the Dylan Friends Podcast. My name is Deborah, Dylan's mum. Strap yourselves in for some light-hearted and wholesome fun. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. Alyssa Healy, welcome to the Dylan Friends Podcast, my friend. Uh, this is great. Um, I'm very, very excited for this. Obviously, a superstar in your field and um, couldn't be happy to have you on your podcast. So I'm blessed, I'm honoured and welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. Very, very exciting. As I said, now our journey is quite funny. Um, I normally like to explain how we first met and it was probably about three minutes ago via Zoom <laughs> call. But obviously, I've been a big follower of you for a long time and I know your husband very well, who's my uh, my good friend, and he was actually one of the inaugural guests. I think he was nearly in the probably episode five of the Dylan Friends podcast, early days, back was when I was in Sydney. Um, now I've upgraded and got the better half, so I couldn't be happier. Um, did you listen to that episode, and, and have you learned anything? Did he give you any advice? Was he pumped for you to come on? Uh, I haven't. I'll be blatantly honest, and I haven't listened to that, but I hear enough of his <laughs> dribble at home, so I haven't I haven't done that. But um, uh, he rocks around in your Dylan friend shirt literally 24-7, so I felt like one day I'll get the call up to come on the show, and here I am, and I'm sure we can stitch him up along the way. Oh, I hope we can. Um, it was actually funny because I messaged him when uh, this was all locked in. I said, mate, look, super pumped, got to listen on the show. Um, you know what it's about. I need some dirt. You know, tell me something about her. What, what does she want to talk about? What are some good things? And... He gave me nothing and he gave me absolutely <laughs> nothing. And I said, I'm more wondering, have you put the hard word on him not to stitch you up or is he just scared of you and he just knows that he can't, you know, go behind your back on anything? I didn't put the hard word on him. I'll, <laughs> I'll say that. I haven't done anything like that. But I, when you said earlier that you're a bit flat on him, I said, did you forget to reply? Because he literally never replies to anybody. So I'm glad he didn't give too much dirt. I'm probably going to say it all myself anyway, but um yeah, I, at least I thought he would give you something along the way. No, he did. It was all good words, which um, which we will get into, but um, I already knew that. So we'll, we'll, we'll get into that throughout the journey, I suppose. <laughs> but um, Alyssa, obviously a superstar cricketer. You've got the big um, international series at the moment, um, which we'll touch on. But I suppose the best place to start is, is at the start. How did your cricket journey begin? Um, yeah, it's a weird one. I think everyone just naturally assumes with the last name Healy that you're um, – you know, you pushed into the game of cricket, um, being a really heavily cricketing family, but sort of just fell into the game. We moved down to Sydney when I was uh, a lot younger and 
toddled off to the local park and tried what was called Kanga cricket all the way back then. It's like T20 Blast now, something way more fun and exciting. So um, literally gave it a whirl, didn't really enjoy it, but ended up just playing at the local club following from that. So it's sort of a, a boring story, but just it was probably the one constant sport um, that carried on throughout my life. I literally played every sport under the sun, but cricket always seemed to be there in the summer and just found myself being picked in teams along the way and all of a sudden I'm playing for Australia. So it was sort of a, a weird journey, but um, I guess probably having that last name Healy, I was destined to to take the gloves at some point and probably have a cricketing career, I would think. Sure. We speak with uh, a lot of um, athletes and I suppose a lot of journeys and it's pretty similar. The stories are, are quite the same. Like you said, you sort of start from a young age, but I suppose being um, a female in, in sport, and I've spoken to a few AFLW players about this, but what was the journey like for you, I suppose, early days? Was there, you know, youth girl teams or you were actually you were playing with, with the boys as well through those stages? Yeah, it was just me. I was the only girl in, in a boys team. Um, Elise Perry was actually in the same competition but in the age group below. So there was sort of two of us um, playing in that Northern Districts competition um, in Sydney. And, yeah, it was... I didn't see anything different. I, I was such a tomboy. I still am um, such a tomboy growing up. So for me, I didn't think I was any different to any of the boys. They didn't treat me any differently. Uh, I was wearing the same clothes as them. We were just running around having fun. It was probably only when I got a little bit older, 16, 17, and, um, you know, playing cricket at school that, you know, you sort of realised that you were different. <laughs> and I wasn't growing up and I wasn't as big as strong as <laughs> some of these 17, 18-year-old boys. But, um, yeah, it was just all the local boys teams that was really the only option and then you'd move across to women's grade cricket um when you got a little bit older so it's it's changed dramatically now you look at it there's so many opportunities for young girls to play either with the boys they can play with their friends in all girls competitions as well so it's nice to see that they have those options now whereas there wasn't that sort of option for us when we were growing up that's for sure and, and something I found, um which wasn't too hard because on your wikipedia page um but <laughs> basically the the first is this true? You were the first female to play in the first 18 um, school competition. So throughout, you know, New South Wales, I think it was, but only female to be playing in the first 18 with with the boys' team. Yeah, I, um, well, I went to Barker College in Sydney, which is um, a fairly prestigious boys' school that allows girls in 10, 11, year 10, 11 and 12 and um, got the opportunity to go on trial for the first 11 and, um, yeah, funnily enough, got picked in it and um, all hell broke loose and some old boys of the school um, didn't want a bar of it and said it's it's a blight on the competition and on the school that there's a girl playing. And um, anyway, we won the competition that year, so he can suck it. But um, it was <laughs> it was honestly like the best thing for my cricket at that time. You know, I was playing, I was playing for New South Wales in all the underage pathways with all the girls and hadn't really played boys cricket for maybe two years. And um, all of a sudden I'm playing with like I said, like 17, 18-year-old boys that are, you know, <laughs> are growing up. They're a lot bigger, a lot stronger than me and I had to sort of find a way to, to get the job done and I had a great time. I had some really great experiences there and, um, yeah, ultimately I think it helped develop my cricket and all of a sudden I was probably playing for Australia within 12 months after that. So it was, um, yeah, it was a fun time in my life, that's for sure. It's it's, it's incredible um, to think, like I don't know if that's actually happened since, but to think that, you know, you're breaking those sort of rules already, it's no doubt, um, you know, you fast forward now, you're one of the best cricketers in the world, currently playing in the international series at the moment um, up in Brisbane. How are the girls feeling? Um, what's what's it like in at the club and, and um, what do you want to get out of the series? Feeling a little bit uh, under the weather today, no doubt most of the group after um, 
winning the Rose Bowl yesterday. We It's a, a trophy that Australia and New Zealand play for uh, in the 50-over format of the game and um, we've just held on to it again. I think this is our 19th year on the trot that we've held on to it. So the Kiwis are not going to... Um, come back at any time soon. They keep trying to take it off us, but um, once again, Meg Lanning, who's an unbelievable player, um, you know, got the win for us. So, yeah, feeling really good, feeling really confident with our cricket at the minute, and we've got one more game tomorrow, and hopefully we can get a notch another win up. And I think we're up to twenty or twenty-one wins on the trot, so we're um, we're flying at the minute. But you know, one more game to go, so feeling pretty happy with ourselves, I'd, I'd imagine. <laughs> no, it's, it's a good feeling. I never quite uh, got that confident when I was playing sport. But in saying that, <laughs> I have played in some big games on the MCG. Um, I'm not sure if you're aware of these, but there's been some three goals kicked. <laughs> I'm sure you are aware of them, actually. They're probably folklore <laughs> when you walk through. But last year, 86,000 uh, for the Cricket World Cup. Uh, that, honestly, it, it's probably arguably one of the biggest moments in, in women's sport, if not like you know sport in general. It's a huge crowd, absolutely huge. What was it like playing in that game? It was honestly the the best day of my life. Uh, obviously, I've I've been married and that was pretty cool. But um, playing in front of eighty six thousand people, uh, the MCG was hands down the best day that I've had on a cricket field. I think um, it's something you know. Growing up, being a female playing sport, it's something that you just don't ever dream of because you don't see it. You never see it happen in any sport. Obviously, like the the soccer World Cup is probably the closest that you you kind of see that many people at a, at a sporting fixture. So for us to experience that uh, was next level and it was just such a blur of a day. Um, you know, we it was such a calm feeling around the group, even though it was a World Cup final, the whole group was really calm and then you step out and it was absolute chaos on the field with 86,000 people yelling for you and the Indian fans were just as supportive of, of their side as well. So it was... Um, yeah, an amazing day and obviously to cap it off with dancing on stage with Katy Perry at the end, um, you know, Jack Rewalt style um, <laughs> on stage with, with, you know, one of your heroes. It was, um, yeah, it was pretty cool. So I, I often joke about I wish I had a retired then and there because I feel like nothing will ever get the same again. Here I am running around in front of 400 people at a COVID-safe venue in at <laughs> AB Field here in Brisbane and, um, you know, earlier this year I, you know, got to play in front of 86,000. So it was um yeah, it was an amazing feeling and, and I hope that it's not a one-off. I hope that some of the girls in this team get to experience something similar down the track. But, um, you know, if it was a one-off, then what a day it was. Now, forgive me for this because I, let alone cricket in general, I, I've always struggled to understand, you know, competitions like World Cup series. There's so many, you know, the Ashes, all these different things. Like, I just don't get how it works. But <laughs> the World Cup last year, when will the next World Cup be that was last year? I know COVID's affecting that now, but you said you hope that more girls get the chance to do that. Is there a possibility that that can happen again in a, at the MCG or is it more depending on results, is it depending on, you know, who's in it or when it is? Yeah, it's everything sort of has to fall into place for that to happen. But the next T20 World Cup is in 2022 and that um, is in South Africa, I think. So Australia is sort of leading the way in, in the women's sport and women's cricket sort of pushing that to the forefront at the minute. So it was sort of a, a really special occasion. And I, like I said, I hope it happens again. But obviously you need venues that hold that many people as well. I'm not sure South Africa quite have that. Um, but I, I guess in 2022, it's a massive year that we've got a home Ashes series, a 50-over World Cup in New Zealand. We're actually going to the Com Games as well. Cricket um, has been put into the Commonwealth Games. And we've got right. a T20 World Cup. So it's like the biggest year that we've ever seen um, on a calendar. And, you know, there's going to be lots of little opportunities and moments like we had at the MCG along the way. I don't think we'll see that many people, but, 
you know, having 20,000 people screaming at you in a, in a small boutique um, ground is, you know, just as exciting. So hopefully we get that along the way. Oh, I'm sure you will. Um, obviously the game, the World Cup would have been incredible. But as you mentioned, dancing with Katy Perry on stage, <laughs> I would, I'd like to do that. Um, that sounds pretty fun. How did that come about? Like, did you just jump up there? Did she invite you up? Uh, did you have a few cordials? Were you ready to just let loose? Um, and yep. are you still friends with Katy Perry? And does she want to come on a podcast with us together? <laughs> I'm sure we can ask. She was one of the most gracious people I've ever met. And, you know, for someone who's not super into Katy Perry music, I was that night. I made sure of it. But, um, <laughs> Definitely had had a few cordials, a few, a bit of liquid courage, but I don't even know how it came about. I think as soon as we heard that she was playing at the the final, we were obviously wanted to be in the final to win a World Cup, but we were also wanted to be in a final to get the opportunity to dance or meet Katy Perry, right? So I'm not sure how it happened, but I was actually standing in the mosh pit with a few friends. I had a heap of family and friends that came down for the game and I was standing in the mosh pit barefoot with them in my black kit in the pitch black dark and somehow Max from the ICC found me and said you need to come with me and I was like oh why what have I done like what have I done wrong I'm always in trouble for something and uh, he said no the girls are backstage they're about to go on and I was like no way so he ran me around I was still barefoot so really wet muddy ground running around the back and there's everyone waiting to get on stage so I don't know who teed it up but um, she was super pumped that we were on stage with her which was really cool and um, if you've seen the footage, Sophie Molyneux pretty much stole the, st- stole the stage away from Katy Perry. She actually cut her off down the catwalk <laughs> and ended up running down and, um, you know, stealing the complete limelight from Katy who, like, just let her have it, have her moment. So uh, it was just one of those moments that you'd never really expect to ever happen. But, um, yeah, she was lovely and we ended up leaving the stage and running along with her. She's heavily pregnant, mind you. I don't know how she performed for as long as she did and, they ran her off stage and her Range Rover was just sitting there in the car park waiting, ready to go. She was probably getting changed. We went out that same exit and everyone said, thanks, Katie, on the way through. And she popped her head out to say thanks. Thanks for coming on stage and congratulations. And it was just sort of like she was genuinely pumped to see us win and come on on stage with her and dance. I'm not sure where the Indians were at this point. I'm pretty sure they must have been pretty devo that they weren't on stage too, but <laughs> we got the limelight, so it was pretty cool. So she, after the show, she just pretty much straight in the car and bang off. Oh, yeah, we never saw her again. She was off. Yeah. And it was okay. proper, it was really cool rock star behaviour, like the black Range Rover just sitting there at the exit. There was like a curtain being held up in her dressing room for her. Obviously, she was quickly getting changed and then poof, in the car and off she went. And we were still yahooing in the car park. So it was, um, yeah, proper rock star attitude. That's unbelievable. Um, as big as that, massive moment uh, in this. And I want to get the story behind this because... Look, there's no surprise, there's no secret here. I was I couldn't play cricket, um, let alone football. <laughs> I couldn't play cricket because it was one of those games. I don't know. I just never really got into as a kid. Bad shoulders, and you know when you sort of you're growing up, you know you're going to be good at sport when you can sort of like drop a ball on your foot. You can you sort of have those mechanic skills like that. You can sort of like you know that something's going to go. You know you see a kid at the park yep. and you're like he has it, he has it. Yeah, <laughs> I couldn't throw a ball. I had a really bad shoulder. Um, that has nothing to do with this story, so I just thought I'd let you know about my shoulders. But Guinness World Record um, for the highest catch of a ball. Now, yeah. is that like in cricket, like in the world? Is that like how does that work and how does that even make it into the Guinness World Record? It was a remarkable moment in my life because, yeah, the, Nick Hockley, who was running the, um, the T20 World Cup, 
he approached me about 12 months out from the World Cup. They were really trying to make a big deal of this World Cup and make it something really special. And he thought, what a cool way to link, obviously having trying to break the world record for the most attendance at a women's sporting fixture. How about we break another record and sort of like lead it, lead into it that way? And he approached me and said, would you be keen to try this? And I was like, all right, what is it? And he's like, well, the highest catch of a cricket ball. Someone in the UK had broken the record previous. He said, would you like to give it a go? And I was like, you're kidding, right? Because the irony in this story is that I am the shittest person under a high ball ever and I've got gloves on and I suck. <laughs> like I'm no good. And because in the, we played an Ashes fixture at Monica Oval and those lights down there are ridiculously hard to catch cricket balls under and I think I dropped three on the trot in that game. And um, <clears throat> anyway, it was all hilarious and I thought, you're kidding me, right? And he said, yeah, I want you to do it. I think you're the best person for it. I was like, righto. So off we top to the to the MCG and there's this drone dropping a ball from I think the first one we had to get was 65 metres and it was genuinely hitting the turf and leaving a divot in the turf. And I, so I thought I was doing um, the curators a favour by having to catch it because I'm, we're leaving holes around the MCG and we're like, we can't do this. Like obviously the footy's got to play on it, the cricket's got to play on it. So, yeah, we just... Um, I think I struggled the first few and ended up catching it. We broke the record and then we pushed it as far as we could and got it to 82 and a half metres, um, which is the, the height of the light towers at the MCG. Obviously, you've played there and it's a long way up and, um, yeah, caught that. So I, I don't really know how it came about or what happened, but all I know is that even you open the Guinness World Record book, my name's in there for something completely stupid, which um, was kind of a nice lead-in to the World Cup, I suppose. Thousands of Aussies trust Aussie broadband to keep them connected to the world, even when they're on the go. Because as well as reliable home internet, Aussie broadband also offers flexible mobile plans with super generous data allowances and no locking contracts. Their 100% Australian-based support team are ready to help you make the switch. It only takes a few minutes. Aussie broadband, the actual Aussie way. Search Aussie broadband mobile to find out more. T's and C's apply. How does that work in terms of, though, I suppose... It must have been a non-windy day because if that was windy, that would have been incredibly hard to pick up. Like, how much ball movement was on the ball and swinging at the time? Was it sort of coming down pretty straight? Like, I can't imagine even being able to see that high. No, it was the most challenging thing I've ever had to do because I I guess playing the game and playing cricket, you get used to the movements of the game and you're often reading the ball off the bat. So if it goes in the air, you kind of see it off the bat at least. So you see it go up and you see it spinning and you can kind of gauge the wind, whereas this was a drone just dropping it from 80 yeah. metres. So um, the first time he did it, actually, he put just whacked the ball in willy-nilly and I was like, well, if you put that in and it drops seam up, that's going to swing, right? And I'm just a sitting duck underneath it, which you don't want to be. You ultimately want to run under the ball to catch it, kind of like you do in footy, I guess. But um so he's just like whacking the ball in there and here it is dropping seam up and like for all the cricketing terms, it's swinging all over the place and it was a brand new pink ball as well, which swing more than any other. So it was an absolute nightmare. So we kind of got him to drop it in, um, you know, with the seam around like that so that hopefully when it drops, it's kind of dropping like it would in a cricket game. But it didn't help. It still dropped seam up. So it was, yeah, it was incredibly challenging and to just stand under there and feel like you can't really move um, was strange. So, yeah, look, it was challenging, but we got the job done in the end and, um, yeah, I got some sort of certificate to show for it. Mind you, I've lost that. I have no idea where it is. So <laughs> <laughs> someone's got it at Cricket Australia, I think. 
Well, it's a pretty big flex being in the Guinness Book of Records anyway, so well done on that. <laughs> um, the wicketkeeper, the position. I do know one thing, and I think everyone knows one thing about wicketkeeping and the position. It's half about talent and it's half about the chirp on the pitch. So yep. obviously you must have some good um, one-liners. You must be pretty narky out there. or Is it is it narkiness or is it more just cheekiness um, behind the uh, wicket? And, and what do you throw out? What's your favourite sort of throw-outs to you know, the batters? Um, yeah, it's definitely not narky. I think I was probably a little bit aggressive early in my career when I was young and wanted to make a good impression, you know, when you're in the side and, you know, being an Australian wicketkeeper, that is your job. It, it's to sort of put the opposition off where you can. Um, I've probably moved more into the banter side later in my career, a bit of, bit of chat, a bit of cheekiness behind the stumps. I think that's all you need. And ultimately that role is is there. You need to drive the fielding standards um, and get your team up in the field because cricket is and can be incredibly boring. So um, when you're behind the stumps, you've got to lift your team wherever you can. So that's my job and um, no real one-liners to speak of. I just try and sort of, I guess, undo what the batter's doing. They work really hard to get in a really good mental space to go out there and make runs. So it's my job to get them out of that zone and make them think about something else for literally a split second and then, bang, you get a wicket. So, um, yeah, whether that even be like well, your shoelaces untied, that that's like a really low blow, um, you know, for a batter to be told they're untidy. So, yeah, little, just little moments like that. It's I actually really enjoy that side of the game and um, that's probably why Toby Green's my favourite um, footy player because that mongrel that he's got, I, I can really um, attest to that and that's if he was a cricketer, he'd be a wicketkeeper. That's the sort of role that I've got to play. Yeah, definitely. I suppose that role, as you said, it's, it's probably gone away from the, the angriness and the narcotics. It's probably a bit more like a sports psychology like about yeah. it now in terms of like getting in people's heads and stuff. Is it actually something that like you practice um, and things that you, you look into with like specific bats, um, batsmen, like just going through like, you know, this about her or this about her, you'll try and target specific things or is it just on game day? It's just whatever comes at live. Yeah, what, whatever comes out. I try not to be too personal because <clears throat> I mean. Yeah, it hurts a bit sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it goes a bit too far. If you know too much about somebody, it go, you can go a little bit too far. And look, it, everyone already hates you, so you don't want to push it too far over the edge as well and like not go and have a beer with them after if you go too far. So, um, yeah, nothing personal. I, I try not to go there. I think if they've, you know, if they're still at the crease after 200 deliveries and maybe you can get a little personal, but um, no, nah, just keep it light, keep it friendly and just keep it funny you just ultimately yeah. you want to have a good time and um keep it light and there's stump mic everywhere now so everyone can hear everything yeah, you say true. so you've got to be really careful yep yeah okay maybe in the old days you you might have been a bit crazier um well yeah i think uncle ian got away with calling people fat and like swearing at them quite regularly but um <laughs> unfortunately for us we can't get away with that anymore <laughs> yeah the world's changed for better i think um does yeah. that do, do you find though on the other end of that when you're batting we, is your head on the platter there, I suppose, because you're obviously being the one getting into yeah. all of them. You're probably got the one that they want to get out and, and pay it back. Yeah, that's why you win the toss and bat <laughs> so you can you cop it up front and then you know exactly what you're dealing with and you walk out to field. But, um, yeah, you do you do get picked on quite regularly being the wiki and especially opening the batting as well. They come really hard at you early, but I love it. That's why you see me playing with a smile on my face because – and I think most people have learnt now that if you have a crack, that you know I'm going to have a crack back. So it's um it's not really worth their time. <laughs> no, it's great. Uh, as we mentioned, your, your beautiful husband, um, 
is a fan of the, is, he's a friend of the show. Um, but it was hard to get some stitch ups on his early days. I didn't want to upset him because he's I was making friends at that stage. But I feel we're at the stage now where I think it's time to just let loose on him. Um, <laughs> who is the real Mitch Stark? What tell us something about Mitch that maybe people don't know? Um, well, I don't know. I think he's a. Uh He's a, he's an all right bloke. He's pretty good. I ended up marrying him, so he must have been all right. But um, oh, something that people don't know, well, I guess um, we actually played cricket together growing up. So that's how we met. We met when we were nine um, and we actually shared the wicketkeeping duties. So there you go. Something that you might not have known that he was a wicketkeeper for the first four years of his cricketing career before he yeah. uh, went the other way. I like to joke that, um, you know, he used to be sort of, this way, a little bit short, a little bit plumper than what he is now. And then eventually when he hit puberty, he went the other way, he stretched out, so he had to become a bowler. But you can often see him out in the field um, catching the ball like a wicketkeeper out there. So that's something you might not know about him. But other than that, I think you pretty much he is what you see on the telly. Um, you know, he is quite aggro when he gets out on the field, but he's actually a really gentle person off it. So uh, typical fast bowler behaviour. He is. He's a beautiful man. And, and something I suppose... <laughs> With with your nine years old, by the way, that is pretty crazy that you've met at nine years old. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's funny that because I was the only girl, so he obviously he remembers me in that side because you know I obviously stood out like a sore thumb. But I don't really remember too much <laughs> about him at sort of nine or ten years of age. So <laughs> it's always an awkward conversation when everyone's like, "How'd you meet?" And I was like, "Well, we would play cricket together." And he's like, "Oh, some early memories." I'm like. I don't really remember him that much. You know, he used to take the wicketkeeping gloves off me and all I wanted to do was field. So, um, yeah, it's a it's a funny one. Whereas he, like, remembers the, those moments vividly and I can't remember. <laughs> what uh, is it like for a relationship, I suppose, two professional cricketers travelling the world all year? And I probably, I suppose you guys get this question a lot, but how do you deal with that? Like, you're always, you know, in different states, different countries, um, in different hubs. How do you keep you know, contact and is it how long apart, I suppose, is sometimes do you actually have to spend apart? Yeah, it's it's a, excuse me, it's a tricky one. The, um, yeah, we often, I think I like to put it, we often sacrifice <clears throat> our sanity and going and supporting one another. I mean, most of the time when, you, when you're playing elite sport, it's it takes up a lot of your life that you want to escape it and, you know, you go and do other things. Whereas for us, we actually end up going back into cricket uh, when we go and finish our own tour or finish our own hub, we actually end up going into another cricket hub. So you, there's no escaping cricket. Um, but it seems to work. We don't talk too much cricket when we're together. We sort of leave that to the experts that are around us. Thankfully, we do different things. So he can't give me too much advice on my wicketkeeping and I can't give him too much advice on left arm fast bowling. So it works It works out well there. But, yeah, it's it's tricky. We spend a lot of the, lot of the year apart. Um but it kind of makes the time that we are together more special and that sounds really soppy but um, it, it's kind of, it's really nice and those little moments that we get to spend at home, um, you know, we don't take them for granted because we're on the road sort of nine, ten months of the year. So, um, yeah, we keep in contact as much as we can along the way and we're often, um, you know, supporting one another from afar or if we get a small little opportunity to go and support one another um, in that moment, we'll go and do it. So, I don't know, it's a... It's a weird, it's a weird thing to try and explain, but it's only a small, a small part of our lives. We're obviously married and 
and that's supposed to be forever. So our cricketing career is only a very small part of that time. So we're kind of just enjoying it and embracing that side of our life sort of for the minute. And we've seen it, we've had a taste of retired life during this COVID break and we've, uh, we've thoroughly enjoyed ourselves. So we're looking forward to the next chapter as well. Nah, bloody oath. I suppose uh, my, my partner, my fiance probably wishes that we both played cricket sometimes. I think she'd love to get away from me for, for a little bit, which is, which is <laughs> yeah. sad from my end because I'd, I'd yeah. miss her. We do get told that we've got the, the perfect marriage because we don't see one another a lot, but I'm not sure you can say that to two 30-year-olds. There are often people over 50 that tell us that, but yeah. uh, apparently we're doing it right. So, <laughs> No, you are. It's working and it's, it's obviously correlating on field as well because you're both in fantastic form, which we love. Um, one thing that I love about cricket is, and I suppose it's the hard part, but it's also a beautiful part and you'd probably get over it, but being able to travel the world must be incredible to play the game you love. Um Obviously, that's it's tough being away, as we've mentioned. But what are some of the favourite sort of trips you get to do? Where are your favourite places to travel, um, and where are your favourite places to play? Yeah, you're right. We're really lucky playing the sport we do. Um, you know that we get to travel all around the world, and we we get to travel some really cool places, and we get to travel some really shit places as well. So it's um it's sort of hit or miss. But um, oh, look, I think the West Indies is such a great place. It's somewhere that us as Australians would just would not go to because it's so far away. It takes like three days to get there and 10 different flights and whatnot. But it's such a great place to, to tour playing cricket because you stay in resort type places. You're literally sitting by the beach all day and then all of a sudden you've got to go play cricket. So it's such a nice place to go to and, and travel and um, all the places that are similar to us. I mean, we get to go to New Zealand, which is honestly one of my favourite places to go and travel to um, just as a as a holiday destination, you get to go play some amazing golf courses and yeah, it's a, it's a great job to have that I get to do that. But you know, the flip side of that, we get to go to some really interesting places. We've been, I've been to Bangladesh, which is somewhere that you probably would never go to as an Aussie either as a travel destination, but not just Bangladesh. I've been to the back end of Bangladesh, um, you know, right up in the, in the sticks in there. And that was an interesting period of our, um, of our cricketing journey and, and one that it actually ended up creating some really great memories for our team. So, um, yeah, it is cool, but the West Indies is probably up there for, for one of the best places to travel to. And, um, if you ever get the opportunity to go on a cricketing tour there, I would suggest to go do it. It's always good fun. That's unbelievable. Yeah. I've never thought about traveling to the West Indies to be honest, but what is it like a nice place to go? Even if you're not playing cricket, can you, can you have some fun there? Well, yeah, it is fun that oh, always there's always some sort of party and a lot of rum, rum punch being <laughs> drunk. But um, you know, it's so it sounds so silly, but we've got all of those things here in Australia. I can see why the Poms travel there so regularly because they get to go to the beach and the sunshine. But we've got all that here mm. in Australia, so we're really blessed to be um, to have it all right now at doorstep. But um, I, I definitely encourage you to go there. It's an interesting place to to see, but. I mean, we've got all that just right here on our doorstep, which so you don't really need to take three days of travel to get there. Yeah, West Indies on the bucket list. Um, we spoke about hub life, and and like you said, you live a lot of you're in your hub at the moment. You'll be travelling to another one shortly. I know you are the master of hubs because you do it a lot travelling. Can you give me some things that you do to stay sane? I suppose in in the hubs. Yeah. We do do it quite regularly. We're we're on tour a lot, and we're used to living in hotel rooms and out of suitcases but the hub's a whole different beast I think you you can't actually really go outside I know that the AFL players were blessed with like living on golf courses and whatnot but that's not what everyone else is doing we're stuck in a in a hotel in the middle of a city that we can't actually go and explore so 
Um, yeah, it's a weird one. Fortunately for me, um, bit of uh, like I mentioned, I was a bit of a tomboy and a bit of a nerdy kid growing up. So I love playing PlayStation. So I actually, I'm actually really lucky that I've got that that I can do. And um, obviously, when Mitch is on the other side of the world, we could play together. And um, I reckon that's that's really cool. But I always take my golf clubs wherever I go and get the opportunity to go play golf. But the hub situation is sort of not allowed that. So just bring your putter and go and putt in the hallway and try and keep yourself sane that way. But I know a few of the girls here, they've, we've been really well looked after. They've got a serious ping pong tournament going on up, yes. up the hall. You can often hear them yelling um, down the hallway after someone's won or someone's beaten the top seed. So um, there's plenty of stuff for us to do. And it's sort of given us an opportunity to get to know one another a lot, a lot better as well as, um, as teammates so it's sort of a, a blessing in disguise I would think ask us again in six weeks time and it might be a different story but it's been a cool couple of weeks just on the PlayStation I'm very interested to to know what you and Mitch are playing each other in and who takes the chocolates in those battles <laughs> well we're well, we're on the Call of Duty um, bandwagon at the minute and thoroughly enjoying that uh, Mitch is actually sitting right next to me playing at the minute so um <laughs> He's really interested in our chat that's going on. But, um, yeah, we're, we do enjoy Call of Duty and we've got another mate that we play with that we sort of link up later in the evening when he finishes work and the three of us take down Warzone or whatever it might be. So, um, yeah, I'm kind of glad that I do enjoy something like that because it does kill a lot of downtime that you tend to have on tour. Lisa, uh, women's sport in Australia at the moment um, is incredible. I feel like there's such an awesome movement. It's been going super well. Um, obviously, you know, your World Cup win last year. We've got the Matildas who have the World Cup uh, in 2021. Um, and AFLW is just getting stronger and stronger. Um, what are your views on, on women's sport in Australia, I suppose? And, and how does it compare to some of the other countries that you've been to? Is Australia leading the charge in, in this field? Yeah, definitely. I think especially cricket-wise, we're strides ahead of um, any other nation. I think England are are trying really hard to catch up um, and, you know, making a a serious effort at doing that. But, um, yeah, we're we're miles ahead, especially cricket-wise, and you could see it just simply by the results that our team gets. I think, um, you know, we've we've done it the right way as well. I think um, investing in our domestic um, competitions in particular um, and strengthening that obviously leads to really strong international sides. So, yeah, we're miles ahead in, in most sports and I think it's just giving the opportunity for young girls to play whatever sport it might be and I think, um, you know, that breeds success, that breeds, um, you know, great culture in the country as well. So, um, yeah, we are, I think, ultimately in cricket, we, we want Indian cricket to be really strong so that world cricket is strong and we see it in, in men's cricket that, um, you know, Indian cricket is really strong and it and it makes world cricket really strong and creates opportunities in world cricket as well so for us the next big one for us is is Indian cricket Indian women's cricket to become big and the best thing that could have happened um, was that they're in the final in front of 87,000 people at the MCG and that happened and um, you know I think ultimately you saw the difference in the sides on the big stage you know we're kind of used to that we've been together for a long period of time we've we've played our domestic competition in front of crowds and and we were able to handle that situation a lot better so they'll learn from that I know that um COVID probably threw a spanner in the works for them but um I know that the BCCI are working really hard on trying to make a a women's IPL happen and and that's going to be the best thing for their their domestic competition to have the best 
elite players from around the world playing in their domestic comp and ultimately strengthening their competition and their players and and making them competitive in the international scene. So, yeah, we are miles ahead and whilst um, we can pat ourselves on the back, there's still a long way to go and um, in the equality piece, but I know that cricket is doing everything possible to, to make sure that, that that gap is closing and it's, it's great for us to be a part of. Is there anything that we can do to improve, I suppose, close that gap? Is there anything that you can see in the short term that I suppose from a public's point of view that you can see to improve um, it as much as it has already? Um, I think it's just embracing the sport for what it is. I know that people like to compare men's and women's sport all the time. I see it in the AFL, I see it in the cricket, I see it in the soccer and it's not really worthwhile. I, I don't think we need to get stuck comparing, um, you know, apples and oranges. I I can see it in my household. I'm not Mitch, I'm not 6'5", I'm not 90-odd kilos. I can't bowl the ball like he he does. I can't hit it 120 metres but what I can do is, is play the game of cricket and I can and I can do it slightly different to what he can. So I don't need to be compared to him or Aaron Finch um, or somebody like that. I'd just like to be compared to Meg Lanning, who I'm competing against ultimately. So um, I think that's one simple thing that we can do and um, I see it in the AFL in particular. Like these girls are, are learning the elite game in front of all of our eyes on national television, um, which is something that is not ideal. It's not something that should have happened. I think they could have been learning the game, you know, ultimately 20 years ago and then coming in and then having an elite product instead of trying to make an elite product on the TV. So, um, yeah, stop comparing it. Let us play our sport and just um, enjoy what what is what we are producing, I should say. Yeah, love it. I, we spoke to uh, – we I, I spoke to Alicia Eva uh, recently who's the captain of the Giants and she had a really good answer, very similar to yours, and it was basically just to – Look at it as an investment, which it is. It's obviously an investment. It's a different game. And, um, yeah, Alicia was a superstar in saying that. Like, obviously, cricket's really, really humming at the moment. The girl's absolutely flying. So there's no reason why um, people wouldn't wouldn't look at it like that. And you're doing such a such a good job at it. So you've got to keep going from my point of view. Um, not that that um, – hopefully that means something to you, but it probably, probably doesn't. Um, <laughs> now, you're, you're a superstar on the pitch, but something I do want to know is – if there was another sport that you'd like to be involved in, what would it be? Because I've heard you are a, as good as wicket keeper as you are. I've heard you're nearly a better golfer. <laughs> yeah, Mitch obviously gave you that rundown, did he? But um, I love my golf. Um, I, I'm not sure if I had another sport, I'm not sure what I'd go for. But I wish if I was really good at something, I wish I was really, really good at golf because it is something that I love to do. But in saying that, uh, it's obviously our sort of escape from cricket. We like to go and play golf. And like you said, we get to travel the world. So we get to play some really cool golf courses all around the world um, by playing cricket. But um, I wonder if golf was my job, if I'd hate it. So, cause I love my golf so much is because it's not my job. So um, yeah, I do love, I do love my golf. Uh, I put a lot of time and effort into it and spend a lot of money on new golf equipment. So um, I guess if, if I had to choose something else, it'd probably be, probably be that. What are you playing off at the moment? What part of your game is your best? Is it your, your long game, your short game? Um, I'm, I'm very intrigued. Uh, I can't putt to save my life, so it's definitely not my short game. Uh, I love to smack the ball off the tee. I like to swing as hard as I possibly can and hit it as far as I can. So uh, I think the golfer, what makes a golfer is their short game, so that's something that I need to work on. But, um, yeah, I just in, enjoy it. I enjoy competing I'm such a competitor in whatever I do and um, golf is sort of the ultimate competition 
not just that you're competing against other people, but you're competing against yourself in a way. You're fighting mental demons along along this 18-hole journey and it's such a remarkable sport. So, um, yeah, I thoroughly enjoy going out there and, you know, giving it a whack. 18 holes. I don't think I've ever even got through nine holes, to be honest. Um, <laughs> you've, you've compared me there. I Mentally, golf is just not my game. It's something that I have to get better at because um, I can't. I can't do it. Like, I just crack it straight away and I lose patience. And yeah. It's one of those ones where you hit one good ball, but you'll hit like 35,000. And honestly, I was losing money just replacing my balls all the time. It was too hard to, yeah. to keep going. Um, I want to move on to your love for uh, the Giants, I suppose. Did you actually, growing up in, in New South Wales, did you actually have a love for footy or has it sort of been something that you've grown up with um, over time? Yeah, it's a, a weird one. I um, I loved NRL growing up. That was what I grew up with. I was born on the Gold Coast, so, you know, the, the Bogan state of Australia and um, – Loved my NRL and um, sort of it wasn't until uh, Mitch and I actually, well, we were living, sorry, in Breakfast Point with my parents before that and then Mitch and I bought an apartment there and all of a sudden this mob of footy boys moved into Breakfast Point as well and they were called the GWS Giants. So um, it was kind of by chance that they, um, moving in there, we sort of got to know them a little bit and all of a sudden we're supporting the Giants just simply because we got to know the boys and, um, yeah, it's just sort of how we fell into it. And, yeah, I love my AFL. I think um, a couple of my mates growing up played locally, so I used to go and watch that, but um, sort of just fell into AFL that way. It's not something that I ultimately grew up with, but it was um, it was good to, to get to know some of the boys and obviously follow them passionately. Yeah. Um, were you a big fan of the Neeful? Did you get down and watch me play at all um, pre the senior games or is it just, did you support the ones? Uh, I was just that top level, you know. I just yeah, like to go enough. there and have a few beers. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's fair enough. All good. Um, so obviously you said you've had an incredible career and there's still so much to come. Interest outside of cricket, um, I'm always a big fan of transitioning and like looking to what's next. Have you ever thought about what you want to do um, after your cricketing career? Is there something that you're passionate about? Do you want to stay in sport? Um, what what tickles your fancy? Uh, yeah, it's always a great question. Now that I've turned thirty, everyone wants to know what's next. Uh, everyone's like retirement. What's what's going to happen? So um, no, no, that's not uh, on the cards. I, I, I think <laughs> at least thirty five, thirty six these days. Uh, at oh, least some of the geez. blokes in the AFL are running around. It's it's great. My knees and my knees and hips would suggest otherwise for <laughs> considering I squat for a living. But um, oh. yeah, I'm not too sure to be honest with you. I, I had grand plans when I was a lot younger that. Uh, I was at uni, I was studying marine biology actually and um, that was something that really interested me but cricket got really busy and I think I've only got five subjects left of that degree to go so I'd love to go back and finish that. That's something that I'd love to do but what's next? I'm not actually 100% certain at the minute um, and it's sort of nice to be in that position. I think that that could scare a lot of people that they don't know what's next but I'm sort of excited for the next chapter, um, you know, the way that cricket and sport has sort of changed over the last two to three years for us, um, has created so many opportunities for us um, post-cricket, which is so exciting and I'm sort of excited to see what doors um, can open up. But I'm not too sure if I'll stay in sport, in particular cricket. You know, I've been involved with cricket for 23 years now and I'm not sure it's somewhere that I really want to be for the next 50 years either. So I'm not don't think it'll be that path, but, um, you know, whether it be in the media or, or commentating on games, I, you know, I'm already sort of doing that at the back end of my career, so it could be something that I might enjoy. But, yeah, I'm sort of excited by the unknown, which, um, yeah, it probably sounds strange. 
No, it, it, I can completely understand that, and I, I've seen a lot of your media work. You're absolute natural. Um, can definitely see you transitioning into that field. But one thing I am interested in, because I didn't know about this, is the marine biology. What I, I obviously know what a marine biologist is by name, but what does a marine biologist do? Yeah, well, it's, it's actually really funny because um, I was at uni for like eight or nine years and still didn't finish my degree, but Mitch's sister actually did the same degree as me and is, has finished her marine biology degree and is doing her master's at the minute. And she doesn't even know what she wants to do in marine biology. So um, nobody knows. No marine biologist actually knows what they want to do. But I did, um, one of my favourite places to travel is is the Maldives and been there a couple of times. And there's actually marine biologists on hand at the resort to just tell you literally what fish is what. So, you know, if there's dream, as far as dream jobs go, that is high up there on the list. Imagine living, living on a small island and pointing out fish to um, dumb tourists, I think it would be one of the coolest <laughs> jobs going around. Speaking speaking of that job, um, I've just been able to work with the octopus teacher, uh, the Netflix documentary. Have you seen that? I haven't seen that, no. Okay, you're going to have to jump on that Add one. Add it to it's, my list. It's, it's quite weird. No. It's basically about a guy who falls in love with an octopus and he's a, I'm pretty sure he's a marine biologist. So there you go. You might, um, wow. you might meet an octopus and might be... Great, um, but we'll see. I've already got goes. one. He's six foot five and very <laughs> limmy, so <laughs> I've already got an octopus. I'm not sure. Oh, geez. No, Lisa, it's been absolutely incredible. Um, thank you so much for your time um, today. It's honestly been a treat. Um, thank you for your openness. Can't wait to see you guys. Absolutely smash it. Um, upcoming series and and whatever else is is around for the rest of the year. So thank you so much for your time and. Really appreciate it. I can't wait to catch up with a few core deals when I'm allowed up in Sydney. I'm looking forward to an invite to uh, the Healy Stark household and um, I'll bring a six-pack and we'll split it. It sounds amazing and I'm looking forward to that very moment. We'll welcome you with open arms. Thanks for listening to the Dylan Friends podcast. If you liked it, it'd be a massive help if you could subscribe, rate and leave a review. I'll even give you a kiss. The show is produced by Dylan Buckley and Sam Bonza. Damon Jackman from Creative Edge Film is responsible for audio and visual editing. Samuel Kenny Creative looks after graphics and animation, and the podcast is recorded at the Dylan Friends Studio, which sounds fancy, but really, a friend had a spare room at his office, and I took it over. If you'd like to get in contact to suggest a guest or advertise with the Dylan Friends podcast, you can email us at inquiries at dylanfriends.com, which will also be in the show notes. Thanks so much for tuning in.